Welcome in and welcome back to the Lions Lair. I'm your host, Noah Reif, joined by John Sauber, Penn State football beat reporter, as well as Penn State basketball beat reporter. John, what's going on? We missed you. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, two weeks now. Uh, last week, some scheduling conflicts, of course, came in the way of us recording. Uh, we'll cover a lot of the ground that we were going to cover last week. Uh, pretty excited to talk about Penn State men's basketball, though. Uh, this will be a men's basketball-centric episode. A lot has happened, right? They lost three in a row. They've won two in a row. Uh, so, you know, there's been some ups and downs and a lot of uh, correlation between all five of those games, which I think is really interesting. And frankly, this is uh, this has been a really interesting team to cover, a really interesting team to watch consistently. Uh, and, you know, it's it's made my job interesting. It's made it more enjoyable, I think. January, February, March madness. It's all madness. Yes, we're, Penn State we're getting there. We're we getting are. There. You know, we're coming to the close of the end of the season, but let's let's kind of take a step back to the losing streak that uh, the men's basketball team faced here. Faced Wisconsin, lost. Michigan, lost. Minnesota, lost. To kind of, the, 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 I guess it was a good time to be gone, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, and like they were, um, I believe they were 9-9 nine and nine heading into that. That dropped them to 9-12. and 12. Uh, Timing's rough, right? But I mean, those games are rough too. Uh, what, what I think was really interesting is those Wisconsin and Michigan games, Wisconsin being on the road, Michigan being home, were almost the same games, you know, uh, super low scoring, Penn State defending really well, limiting possessions, uh, limiting mistakes to some extent too, keeping the game close and just can't close it out in the end. I know people hate when people just say, well, they just didn't make shots, but like really those two games, they just didn't make shots. And, you know, that's sort of where the talent level's at on this roster. It's where the shooting, uh, you know, uh, level is at with this roster. Um, they, they don't make enough open shots consistently. Um, uh, but when they do, they play really well. And we'll get to that later and what that looks like. But yeah, I like, honestly, that Wisconsin game was like, it was one of their most impressive performances of the year, considering they had travel issues. They got into the arena, I think, like an hour before tip. They got into Madison like a few hours before tip, stopped and ate, uh, and then went to the arena, played a game against a really good Wisconsin team with a top 10 player in the country in Johnny Davis, defended him well as they've defended like all of these elite guys all year. And that's been a lot of Seth Lundy. But yeah, they like that's not a game they should have been close in if you look at talent level if you look at where the teams are sort of at in the big 10 standings but they hung tight because they defend really well michigan they come home they defend really well hunter dickinson seven foot one and it's really hard to defend that guy and they did a decent job but sometimes he's going to shoot over you he can stretch the floor a little bit which makes it even tougher he made enough shots michigan made enough shots penn state can't close that game out uh you know again like it's they got the shots they wanted they didn't fall and sometimes that's as simple as basketball is, you know, especially when you're a well-coached team, which I think I've said a lot, that this team is without a doubt a well-coached team. They know where they're supposed to be. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They listen to the coaching staff, which is wildly important, right? Like seems like all 11 scholarship guys are bought in. Like they want to be there. They want to be contributing. They want to be listening to the staff. It seems like everything is cohesive. And sometimes it just doesn't work out and you lose games because you're not talented enough. Um, and that, you know, those two games dropped them to nine 11, the, the 12th loss, a little little less excusable, right? They lose 76-70 to, to Minnesota on the road. Minnesota, not good, right? Had two Big Ten wins entering that game. Didn't even play that well. Uh, admittedly, like, it's one of those situations where you gave up the shots you want to give up, and the guy just made it. Like, Eric Curry from Minnesota, I think, had 22 points in that game. It was on 18 shot attempts, yes. But, like, they're all 18-footers. They're all shots he doesn't take. He even made a three. I think he made, like, four threes all season. Uh, he's one-on-one from three. He made a bunch of long twos. Like, 
that's the shot you want him to take. And if he's willing to take it, then you kind of let him, you got to close out a little harder than they did. But, you know, he kind of fueled the offense from that standpoint. Uh, even though Penn State did well against Jamison Battle and Peyton Willis, uh, you know, neither of those guys were making shots. Like, it's it's tough when the two best players on the other team don't play all that well and you lose anyways. But the defense wasn't there because they were still giving up open looks to guys. The offense played well. They scored a bunch of points. They put up 70, but, you know, it doesn't matter if your defense can't back it up. And Micah Shrewsbury sort of emphasized that they really want this to be a defensive-oriented team. They, you know, they say it time and time again, John Hara especially, which will surprise no one, uh, always says they want to play gritty, not pretty. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury actually emphasized that tonight, um, and, and they didn't that game. And so they went on the road. And they lost a game that they could have won, and that could have really changed things for them, uh, changed their outlook. Um, I don't know if it would have changed it too drastically, but, you know, there's things available to them if they win that game that kind of aren't now. Uh, you know, more losses that they can afford, right? They can drop another game. Um, so those those three games, like, the first two, were like I said, were kind of the same game, but that third game was, like, they just got to win it. Like, there's there's no real excuse. Um, they, they weren't good enough. Um, they weren't good enough against a team that... They don't have to play their best to beat, and that's kind of – everyone has those games. They had one against UMass earlier this year, um, but it was kind of a repeat performance of that UMass game, and they they no-showed to some extent uh, defensively, and that's just – they're not going to win games playing like that. Um, they need the defense to be good because they don't make enough shots, and like even in a game where they made a bunch of shots, if the defense wasn't good, they weren't going to win, and I think that's how the season has gone and, and is going to continue to go. Um I do think it's interesting sort of how they how they came back from that, right? Because losing to Minnesota can really be a valley, uh, especially when it's in a situation where you should succeed in, uh, where you should get the win. It can really start a downturn, but this team seems to be too old for that, right? Like these guys are like all 22 to 24. Uh, not all of them, of course, but like a large majority of them are. A lot of them have played four or five years of college basketball. And they, they responded, which I think was was sort of the um, telltale sign that this is a group that is bought in, that wants to be playing together, that knows that the season doesn't end with a single loss. It doesn't end when uh, you have a bad loss. It, it keeps rolling, right? And especially in the Big Ten, you're going to have opportunities to make up for those losses. And, and they did uh, pretty immediately, I would say. Yeah, I think and something today in the, in the presser that – uh, a question was asked about the same, you know, how similar these two teams are, Minnesota and Penn State, both being in rebuilds. I still feel like that's, you know, it's not necessarily true with the coaching talent at Penn State versus Minnesota and like who they, ha- you know, who Penn yeah. State has versus what Minnesota has. Well, and to be fair to Ben Johnson, Minnesota's head coach, like, I think that last point is important. Like, Penn State's just more talented too. And it's, that's like saying a lot, yeah. right? Because I've said that the talent level quite doesn't uh, hit the mark there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Micah Shrewsbury is a really good head coach. I think Ben Johnson might be too, frankly. Uh, we don't know yet. It's a small sample size. There's less evidence of it. Um, but again, he's had well-coached games. That right, that, that win, that win, the was, win over yeah. Penn State is a uh, is a good win for Ben Johnson, uh, even if it is at home. You know, and you know, even if even if Penn State didn't defend well and didn't play like they could, like. You still got to win that game, and they went out and won that game. Uh, and I like the stuff that Minnesota runs. They get their guys open. They get Jamison Battle open. Uh, they get Willis open. And so uh, I, I tend to think that he will probably be successful at Minnesota. And I tend to think that, you know, Shrewsbury might be on a faster track uh, with a sort of a similar ceiling to him. But, but yeah, the the contrast in sort of 
where those programs are at while also being in the same place is really interesting because Penn State loses that game to Minnesota, comes home, beats Michigan State. Yep. Michigan State, top 25 team in the country, ranked number 19 right now. Uh, we're recording Thursday, right after Penn State just beat Minnesota for what it's worth uh, at home at the Bryce Jordan Center. Uh, and 4 p.m. tip, baby. Let's go. Yeah, what a game. Uh, I had to wake up actually the same time as usual. I just had to do things immediately, uh, which is a rarity for me. But, yeah, no, the uh, uh, the Michigan State game, I think, for Penn State is, like, that's the one, as I was uh, alluding to earlier, like, that proves that this is a veteran team, right? That proves this is a team that can bounce back, that can play really well after, I don't know, their second worst performance of the year outside of UMass. Um, I'm not grouping Indiana in there because Indiana shot like crazy. I think that's a different situation. Yeah, uh, that was just a, a that team so that weird. showed up and played that was, like they shouldn't have played. They don't make those shots usually, and they did. And like again, I hate to simplify it that much, but sometimes that's how it happens, and it'll happen like five, six sometimes times. Sometimes people a year. get hot. I mean, yeah. sometimes teams get hot, and you know we talk about that too with like. You just you never know what's going to happen, especially in the Big Ten. Yeah, and those road games, especially like sometimes they're just more difficult. Sometimes the whistle doesn't go your way. Which actually, before we get too far into Michigan State, speaking of the whistle going your way, uh, Micah Shrewsbury made a joke after the I believe it was the Michigan game. Yes, that he wanted to preserve his children's college funds and basically not get fined for what he wanted to say about the officiating, which I think was. You know, I'm not a complaint about the officiating guy, except within the context. Except for the entire, you know, <laughs> well, so 20 is, minute rant that you went on yeah, a couple this, weeks ago. This is my fourth year covering a Big Ten program. And just Big Ten officiating is bad. And it's inconsistent. And it's always been bad. And it's always been inconsistent. It's a hard job, but it's like you got to meet a baseline. And I just don't think the Big Ten consistently meets that baseline. But I don't want to do that rant again. Uh, but, but Shrewsbury went, uh, you know, <laughs> made that joke. And then he does a radio show, uh, I believe, with Steve Jones after the Minnesota loss. It was just, like, furious, like, that, you know, they're not getting calls. Like, well, and they're, same- they're attacking the rim, and they're, they're drawing contact, and they're not getting calls. And, like, the Big Ten, I believe he made this point, the Big Ten calls fouls, Big Ten officials call fouls on post-ups, on what they perceive to be, like, earned physicality, I guess is one way to put it. But on drives, they don't call them, right? They don't give the smalls, they don't give guards the benefit of the doubt. And it drives me insane because it's the same amount of contact. Just because your back is to the basket, just because you're massive doesn't make it more, right? It doesn't mean it's more contact. It's the same amount of contact. Um, Now, they had calls go in their favor, too. I don't want to, you know, act like that this is inconsistent with how Big Ten refs officiate all the time. But, like, you know, I thought it was funny. Micah Shrewsbury made the the comment about – it's not like it's been 10 years that he's been there and they've been like sort of anti Penn state. But I bet if you went back 10 years ago, you could find Pat chambers saying a lot of the same things. Like it's just, you know, it's, it is what it is. Big 10 officiating is not good. It's not going to get better, but you know, he made, he made those comments. Uh, I think they, they were with merit and then they go into the Michigan state game. They're losing. And then John Hera, admittedly, this is the, the irony of the situation. John Hera did not get fouled. He committed a foul, basically, <laughs> that didn't get called. He, and he, I mean, he's got so much brute strength. He, like, put his forehead into a defender's <laughs> chest that was trying to defend him to create space and then went up as if he was contacted first, right? And, like, you know, sort of tried to sell the foul. Uh, and then Shrewsbury. A true soccer player. Yeah, honestly. And Shrewsbury went nuts. And, like, yeah. it was a long time coming. I tweeted that. It was like that tech really was, like, about a yeah. week in the making. Like, well, he was I, yeah, trying we, to get it. I was going to say, he, he also said in that same press conference uh, at the Michigan game, after the Michigan uh, game, that 
he wanted to fight for his team more. Yep. And he was trying really hard to get attacked yes, that he game. Was. Like he, he was he just trying <laughs> his best. Yeah, I, anyway, frankly, like it really isn't that hard to get a technical if you really want to get one. As he found out, like he really yeah. wanted one against Michigan State and he got one. Yeah. Um, and I think his team's response to it was telling. Like Miles, he said Miles Dredd came over and was reassuring. He was like, we got you. Like we got this. Like after he got the tech. Uh, and then Penn State goes on a big run and, and defeats Michigan State at home. And like, yes, say it a million times, hard to win on the road in the Big Ten. Michigan State found that out on Tuesday. Like, teams find that out all the time. But that doesn't mean it's not a good win for Penn State. It's and a really good win. it doesn't mean that Michigan State team isn't incredibly talented. Yeah, younger than usual, as Shrewsbury commented on. Um, but also, like, the the high-level talent, I think, is high. Like, Max Christie's really, really good. Malik Hall's really, really good. Uh, they have guys that could leave earlier than, than they usually leave uh, Michigan State. But yeah, he earns the technical foul by going ballistic on a, honestly what I thought was either the right call or the wrong call, and it should have gone against Penn State. Probably been an offensive foul, but there were plenty of like there were plenty of situations where Hera got fouled. Nothing gets called. Sam Sesums I think gets fouled four times a game and it goes uncalled because he gets into gets into the body of defenders who like then are over top of him and over top of him and fouling him on the body while he's going up for these shots that he does a great job of getting in close for and nothing gets called. It's always funny uh, to be on the baseline, like taking photos or whatever and looking at Sam and fall, tracking him. Like, I'm like, that's a foul. That's a foul. Tracking him. And he's like, ah! <laughs> yeah, you'll always hear oh, him. Yeah. And then he, he just puts his head down in front of his yeah, back right. and goes he's, and plays defense because he knows he's never going to get that call right. ever. And he, I mean, honestly, probably should. There are a lot of guards, by the way, in the Big Ten that should get those calls. It's I not agree. just Sam. Yeah. I'd, again, I don't want to make this like a Penn State exclusive issue, but uh, in the context of that game, it, it sort of flipped it, right? And, and Penn State locked in defensively, uh, started playing more crisply, I guess, offensively is the best way to put it. They were, you know, more active on those DHOs that they run the dribble handoffs. Uh, they, they love to use flare screens to get Seth Lundy open, basically a screen from the wing to the corner and have him come up off the corner and go to the wing. He, he made uh, five threes in that game. Four of them were from the left wing. One of them was from the left corner uh, on either end of the court. Like he was, he had his spot, right? And they, they run those flare screens to get him to those spots. I don't remember the, the corner three. I want to say it was, it was a similar uh, action, but they ran a pin down instead of a flare where basically the, the post defender can't come out and help when uh, he needs to. Um, by running a lot of off-ball screens. And, and I thought it was interesting. I asked Seth after the game about uh, sort of the, the level of buy-in that he's had to have this year. Uh, he talked about the level of buy-in defensively because the being really good defensively doesn't get the attention that being really good offensively does. And being really good offensively off the ball doesn't get the attention that being really good offensively with the ball does, right? Like, I think that's why, like, as much as we talk about, like, Steph Curry and how awesome he is, I, I think people will still underrate him because of what he does off the ball. You know, off-ball shooters kind of don't get that credit because they're not dribbling, they're not creating that shot, but they're moving a lot. And Lundy's done a really good job of, of buying into that. And and he said, like, it, it's taken a certain level of buy-in from him because, I mean, it's it's hard to convince he, – he has NBA aspirations. It's hard to convince anyone that, hey, the – the best thing for you and for the team is actually to for you to have the ball less, for you to dribble less, uh, and for you to defend more and, and shoot more off the catch. And to his credit, he's really bought in from that standpoint. That has been, I would argue, the most important aspect of this team this year has been that Seth Lundy doesn't try to create for himself all the time. He can attack a closeout, right? Uh, defense closes out on, on him coming off one of those flare screens when they have to help. Um, and he can attack it off the dribble and either step into a 16-footer or he can get to the rim and try to finish. Uh, and he has enough passing chops to even kick out on those those opportunities. But, like, 
he just like his level of buying has been so crucial to this team. They need someone to be that kind of off ball threat. Um, you know, and, and and it really paid off. They they were able to get that win over Michigan State largely because of him. Tonight they I mean they really just like destroyed Minnesota from the opening tip. Ben uh, Johnson, the again Minnesota's head coach, made note that like they didn't have the legs, and like that's probably true. They play fewer guys than Penn State does, but both teams had just played Saturday against each other, played Tuesday games on the road, or, or Minnesota played on the road Tuesday, excuse me, in Columbus uh, against Ohio State, and then they had to travel to Penn State. Penn State at least didn't have to do all that traveling. Um, and you know, that's, that's tough, but Penn state looked like the fresher team. They looked like the better team. They looked like the more well-coached team. And it sort of felt like they were in control of that entire game. Uh, you know, because of what they did defensively, which isn't dissimilar from what they did against Michigan state against Michigan, I guess Wisconsin, but really it was the offense that elevated to another level that they, they kind of haven't been able to consistently get this year. I think something also to note, um, this, this game I feel like was almost needed for this team. I saw that bench the second half. I've never seen that group of guys that excited and happy just to yeah. be playing basketball. And it almost seems like, you know, you're moving into the last part of this season. You know, you have three games. The last part of careers. The, the last part of careers, the last part of the season, but like in the scope of the regular season, you need to win these three games, these next three games. They're bought in, they're excited, they're having fun, they're feeling, you know, they're feeling themselves. They've got the Michigan State win, they've got this blowout win against Minnesota. You know, not not to not to do a huge in-depth look at what's next in the future, but what do they have coming up and how how is this specific moment going to, you know, help propel them or fizzle out? Yeah, so they they head on the road Monday against Maryland. And then they have two home games, one against Northwestern, which will be senior night, Friday night next week, uh, and one against Nebraska Sunday night. Those are three of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And all three, I would argue, maybe Nebraska might be a little more talented, but they're a total mess. Uh, Honestly, Maryland might be too, and they're a total mess. Already fired uh, Mark Turgeon earlier this year. I can't remember if it was a firing or resignation. It was very weird. It was very early in the season too. Um, it was a really untenable situation, if we're being honest. So it was probably best for them to part ways. Um, but yeah, the the Maryland game Monday is the only road matchup of the three. Probably the toughest matchup. But they win those three games. They already beat Northwestern on the road this year. They should beat Nebraska, who's constantly free falling. Uh, and they win those three games, and suddenly they're nine and nine in the Big Ten. And listen, I don't know, weirder things have happened than them upsetting either Illinois or Rutgers on the road to end the year, uh, and that would put them at 500 in the Big Ten, which is huge. Like, that's right. That's an enormous first season, regardless of postseason chances, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what they do in the Big Ten tournament. 10-10, and and admittedly a relatively down year for the Big Ten, is enormous for a team that was widely projected to be one of the worst in the conference this season. Uh, Bottom four, I think, consistently. Uh, And... The chance at a buy in the Big Ten tournament's big. It's super helpful. But I think more than anything, it just sets the tone for next year. You know, it sets the tone for what this program can be. And I think a lot of that is, and if they win these next three games, it's going to be important for these two guys to play well. And it was tonight when they beat Minnesota. It, it's about Sam Sessoms and Jalen Pickett, right? Two guys with decisions to make about whether or not they want to come back. They both have the extra year of eligibility from COVID. Uh, you know, we'll see what decisions they make. But, like, if those guys come back, like... That's two primary ball handlers back. Um, not just two primary ball handlers. Your entire offense has basically been based around those two guys this season. 
right? And their ability to create for themselves and others, both sort of interchangeably can do both. Um, but that's it really for this team. You know, they add someone like Evan Mahaffey next year's a freshman who's a secondary creator, Jamil Brown, who can be a primary creator, uh, which would be huge for them, you know, potentially going in the portal and adding guys too. Like, I don't know if those two guys end the year playing really well and come back next year. That's enormous. Uh, I, I was wildly impressed with both of them tonight, by the way, like Pickett will get the shine and he should, he scored 20, uh, on 14 field goal attempts, uh, you know, is a really tough shot maker, like takes really inefficient shots sometimes, but makes more than, more than most guys do. Um, and so he, he was on tonight. They were putting him in a lot of pick and roll, trying to get him on switches. Uh, trying and yeah. roll. No, there it is. Oh. What a pun. Uh, but yeah, no, they, they got him isolated on guys. They got him in, in the pick and roll, moving toward the rim uh, to get him mismatches, get him to finish around the rim. And he's a really good finisher. Uh, I always talk about how offbeat he is as a player, right? Like he's got this old man game where he's one step behind you in a way that is a- advantageous to him, uh, which because it makes him one step ahead of you. Like you were expecting him to be somewhere, but he's moving at his own pace. And so he isn't there before or when you expect him to be. So he's allowed, he's able to counter off of like, oh, you took a step too far left because you thought I'd already be there. So he can spin back to his right and finish, which he did tonight once. Um, he's just like, I, I, He's a really interesting talent, and I love watching him play basketball. But like, uh, he's going to be crucial next year. But Sessoms this uh, tonight against Minnesota, I thought was spectacular. You know, he scored I think four points. No one's going to notice that. He was two of five from the field, but he had six assists. And I think the assist numbers don't really matter as much as how he got them. One of them, uh, honestly, I think at least four of them were at least in the pick, all in the pick and roll. Right, he gets going downhill, has someone rolling to the rim, usually Hera. He was finding Hera with those little uh, pocket passes. Nice little bounce pass right into Harris midsection. He can go up immediately, or he can pump fake. He can go and try and finish through contact. He had a lob to Jelani White that he tried. Like, you know, he's he's probably their most adept pick and roll passer. Uh, right, he gets a little risky with those passes sometimes, but when he's hitting on them, like they're they're really important and really important to the team. Uh, he can also get to his little turnaround from the the mid post and, and try and score on you that way. He can hit threes. I did think he was a little hesitant on a three should have taken. I saw, like, I think it might have been, like, it was one of the broadcast networks tweeted up, like, about passing up a good shot for a great shot, like him passing to uh, uh, Jalen Pickett on the wing to shoot a three. And he made it, to Pickett's credit, but, like, Sam was wide open in the corner and, like, should have taken that shot. Like, that's passing up a great shot for a good shot to me. You know, like, it's the other way around. But, I mean, it ended up working out. But I think that's the biggest thing for him is getting a more comfortable shooting off the catch, uh, shooting threes off the catch especially, um, because it's a different thing for him. He, he seems more like a rhythm shooter that needs to shoot off the bounce a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, those guys are vital, right? And if they're both playing well, Penn State can beat a lot of teams, like most teams. They are capable. I'm not saying they will, but they are capable of beating most teams because they'll be defending. They have that defensive baseline. And they'll have two guys that are playing well that can create offense. Not to mention Pickett's usually playing 40 minutes a night, so he's usually going to be on the court most of the time anyways. But being able to move him off the ball or to the bench on occasion, he was able to only play 31 minutes and 15 seconds a night, which is big for him. It's his second lowest of the year, um, which is kind of crazy. He had played over 40 minutes per game over the last five, thanks to the overtime game against Iowa. So he's literally averaging more than a game per game over his last five, uh, which, I mean, says a lot about how much they rely on him. But, you know, if those two guys are playing well, they can beat a lot of teams. Uh, and if they're playing well over the next three games, they should go 3-0. Like, they, they, they're better than those three teams. They're more well-coached than those three teams. You know, Chris Collins is a good coach, but, like, I think Shrewsbury's already on a, on a higher level than I think a lot of people would have expected entering the year. 
Um, you know, Maryland has a, an interim head coach. I believe it's Danny Manning. Uh, Fred Hoiberg has been a disaster in Nebraska. Uh, as good of an NBA coach as he was, as good as he was at – and I know people won't give him credit for Chicago, but I thought he was fine in the NBA. Uh, I probably shouldn't say as good as he was, but really good at Iowa State for a long time. Uh, you know, it's just sort of been a mess at Nebraska. They, they should win that game. It's, again, that game in Northwestern home games, they should absolutely win. Maryland a little bit more of a toss-up, but they should beat them too. And and things really get rolling. You know, it's it, it's tough to project that far out in the future, but realistically they're looking at 9-11 and 11 in the Big Ten because those last two games are so brutal. Illinois on the road is like they're one of the best teams in the country, and Kofi Coburn is bigger than anyone Penn State has on the roster. Um, and Rutgers seemingly can't lose uh, at, yeah. at the rack, or not the rack, whatever it's called now, Jersey Mike's Arena, maybe? Something like that. I don't know. That's a great arena name, though. It really and is. It's actually making me hungry, <laughs> especially a bit. in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, but the, I still love calling it the rack, though. But they're like yeah. unbeatable at the rack, so that's probably a loss for any team at this point in the country because they've beaten Purdue there. They they just beat everyone there. They're um, what, they're four four ranked wins in a row. Yeah, at the rack. At the I think rack. I think they're all at home. Uh, don't quote me on that. Whatever. They're very good. Regardless. There. Yeah, they're very very good. That's going to be a tough game. That. Penn State could win because Penn State's good, but like it's a good basketball team. But have they already played Rutgers this year? Yes, they beat them by fifteen, I believe. Okay. I think it was sixty-four to forty-nine, if I remember correctly. Obviously, before they got hot. But yes. Regardless, well, the I same talent. That was, same I believe, team. I believe that was after the Purdue game, though. I believe that was. That after. is, you're correct. That was right. That so was like, after the Purdue game. So like they had beaten a, a team that Penn State lost to at home. Yeah. You know, so the Rutgers, Rutgers is good, and they're. Probably, you know, looking at a loss there. So if they can go 3-0 these next three, finish out at 0-2, you know, being 9-11 in the Big Ten, I know 10-10 like would, would be surprising. So it was 9-11, honestly, because, again, they have no business being in these conversations as, as that level team. And then you start to wonder about the missed scheduled games, like have they gone 3-0, like are they a 20 team, or, you know, are they fighting for the NIT or whatever. But we, we got a long way to go until those discussions are sort of finalized. they got to get these three wins. If they don't, like those conversations end. they got to win these next three games. Just to wrap up here too, kind of a kind of going back to Seth specifically, um, watching him transition defensively and work, you know, heavily on his defense. Do you think that had anything to do with him watching Lamar Stevens transition into the NBA? Um, I, I honestly like I, I, they're close. They they were close at Roman Catholic. They went to Roman Catholic together for a couple of years. They I think a year, and then they went to Penn State together for uh, a year. But I don't I don't know if it's as much Lamar as much as like. Shrewsbury talks about like showing clips of Jason Tatum, like, hey, if Tatum can buy into this, you can too, you know, like, and I think Seth Lundy has NBA aspirations. And I think he wants to try to get into the NBA however he needs to, and he's willing to put that work in. And if a former NBA assistant coach who had a lot of success in the NBA, as he mentioned tonight, played in 10 playoff series for the Boston Celtics, who we don't need to talk about ever again. Uh, <laughs> who then bullied you no, about Yeah, who then bullied the me about the Sixers losing to the Celtics. Yeah. It was uncalled for. Uh, but no, like the, you know, if, if he's got a lot of experience, and I think Lundy trusts him, and he trusts that he knows what's best for him, and he knows what will allow him to get into the NBA, what will sort of get him to the point of, you know, because I don't think I'm breaking any news here. Seth Lundy's never going to be the, the best player on a team in the NBA. He's never going to be... He's probably never going to be like someone you want creating shots in the NBA. Lamar Stevens isn't. And Lamar is the best player to ever play at Penn State, play for Penn State men's basketball, uh, to be specific, obviously. Uh, like he, Seth isn't on Lamar's level. Lamar was an elite shot creator in college. Like that's just not how 
it's not even like you said, that's not how Lamar's making it. Lamar's making it with his defense. And he's improved as a shooter. He still needs to get a little bit better, but it's the effort, it's the energy, it's the defense. Um, and I think, you know, Lundy buys into that and he buys into, okay, maybe if Lamar can't make it as like a top six player in a rotation in the NBA and he's doing it as like an eighth, ninth, tenth guy, for me to do it, I got to be the eighth, ninth, tenth guy. And like, listen, six, 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 seven dudes who defend and shoot are valuable. Everybody wants wings in the NBA everybody like that is most teams are in need of more defenders who can shoot because you want most of the time around your stars you want guys that move when they don't have the ball in their hands you want guys who will take shots when they're open and who will make those shots and you want guys who are going to defend like crazy on the other end and it's not just the on-ball stuff because I think Lundy's got a lot of recognition for the on-ball stuff and how good he's been on these elite defenders he also runs around uh you know chases guys around screens He's a little, you know, upper body heavy when he's trying to get good over the top of screens. But he, for his size, he's good at it, especially in college. Um, you know, and he he has a chance to play in the NBA. You know, is is that as a two way contract guy? As you know, in the G League after he spends another year at Penn State. I don't know. You know, there's it's the NBA. It's more likely than not that he never plays. You know, in the NBA, but he has a chance now. Last year he didn't have a chance. Uh, I would say like he. I saw him go. I mean. People, at least network-wise, you know, Big Ten Network talks about him being in, you know, one of the top defenders in the league. Yeah. And, and like, that's going from a player that really wasn't noted much no, last he, season at all. He had the tools to defend, and he didn't, but he didn't put the effort in. To his credit, right. he's buying and putting the effort in. Is he going to get drafted? Probably not. But can he sign a non-guaranteed deal, an Exhibit 10 deal, so like a team owns his G League rights? Can he play in the G League for a while? Can he play overseas? Yeah, like he can do those things. And it's because of... Every team will want someone to play that role. Um, you know, Tim Frazier's made an NBA career out of being able to plug and play, lead an offense for a little bit, defend hard even though he's undersized, and 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 just jump around teams as a useful backup point guard. Lundy could theoretically be like a, a, a backup wing for like eight to ten years at his peak. Like that's good. Like that's that's really good. You know, considering where it, where it started and. Uh, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, maybe it's not what he wants. Maybe he wants to be more than that. But I think realistically that he's, that's what he's looking at. And that's a really good outcome. And uh, I think Micah Shrewsbury gets a lot of credit for that. But I think at the end of the day, he had to buy in. Lundy had to buy in. And he did that. And to his credit, like, you know, he's disruptive off the ball. He's disruptive on the ball. He's shooting the lights out right now, He especially with, like, he's got a, a high release point. So it's really hard to block him, and especially if he's coming off a screen, it's even harder because a guy's got to fight over top of something to get to him. So, yeah, he's he's gonna have a role professionally somewhere. You know, I, I would it would be hard for me to believe that he won't play professionally, whether it's overseas, G League, NBA, whatever. Like, he'll have a place in some league. Um, does he reach his ultimate aspiration of playing in the NBA? I don't know, but he's got the skill set to do it, and he's put himself in a way better position now than he was a year ago. Well, that's gonna do it for our Lions Court episode i feel like i don't is that yeah, is that a little corny fine. probably of course it is what's what's new with my corny jokes thank you guys for listening always as always please give us a rating give us a subscription online and for the podcast and yes. if you need if you need a little disc we got a little discount code to get a little little discount off the subscription john John, That's what's right. the what is the what's our little discount code? So you've got if you go to centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast, that's center C E N T R E, like Center County, where we're located. 
um, centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. You can get the sports pass at a discounted rate. I believe it's $30 a year. You can read all of our sports content, Penn State football, Penn State men's basketball, uh, you know, any, any, uh, Olympic coverage, like Olympic sports, all of our subscriber exclusives you get access to, all of the analysis columns I do during the football season, you know, some of those during basketball season as well. All of that coverage is included in that. Um, it's, I mean, what, what is that? Like three bucks, less than three, two fifty a month. Two chicken baskets. It, it, yes, that's yes. that is the price of two <laughs> yes, chicken which baskets. Which is like an issue in its own. Yeah, uh, but no, that's it's less it's, than two chicken. It's baskets. two dollars and fifty cents a month. That's, you know, it's unheard of, and it's an annual rate, thirty bucks can't beat it where you'll find all my coverage you know where you find all and then john gets to eat as well yes i get to eat as well which is you know well john it's my favorite thing that's true you know where can people find you online yeah you can find me at at john sauber on twitter j-o-n-s-a-u-b-e-r live tweeting uh those games sometimes tweeting about the sixers and getting upset for once not so upset big james harden guy well hey that's that's what it is again i'm noah rife you can follow me on twitter at noah rife and we will see you all next week Have a good one.